and welcome to Rewire with Duchess Dale. Whether you're a baby boomer or a baby zoomer, a millennial or an elder ally, enjoying retirement or planning ahead, this podcast provides tips and information that turn into inspiration for living your best life. And now, here's our host, Duchess. Well, happy Thanksgiving week. This is episode number 20. And you may have heard the rumor that on Friday, it is the typically American Commerce Black Friday. And this is Thanksgiving week, where in our household, we celebrate by watching the Macy's Day Parade and the Westminster Dog Show. (laughs) Now, many of you who have turkey for your Thanksgiving meal might remember seeing photos way back when sort of Norman Rockwell type photos or artwork that had turkey on a platter with those little white things on the turkey legs. Those little paper coverings may have fallen out of favor in recent decades, yet they served a distinctly helpful purpose when they were first introduced way back in the 17th century. As reported on mentalfloss.com by journalist Ellen Gutowski, over the years, these traditional paper coverings, often called turkey frills or turkey booties, well, they have fallen out of fashion, yet, according to 19th century writer John Cordy Jefferson, paper trimmings on a turkey were popular in the 17th century as a way for women to keep their hands clean while they carved meat. When etiquette books started being published, they encouraged lady carvers to use carving forks, and the paper didn't become obsolete. They just got frillier. Now, most of us want all the trimmings on our Thanksgiving meal, but you don't have to have those little paper trimmings on tofurkey. And as I said, since this week is Black Friday, holiday shopping is often rampant with the unbelievable sales offers, particularly on social media. So if an offer seems too good to be true, it probably is. So do a little extra legwork without the little frilly paper coverings and check out the veracity of those sales by going to the retailer's actual websites. Or you can listen to our episode number 13, Books and Crooks, or an episode from May 24th called Scamorama and get some extra tips to avoid scammers' schemes. I mean, who doesn't like a good deal or want to save money? But remember, retailers have had decades and spent bazillion bucks on marketing research to know how to entice us off of our reasoning and our budgets. One of the gimmicks that I always fall for, even if it's not Black Friday, is spend $100 and get 10% off. Or if you spend $100, you'll get free shipping. I happen to be someone who dislikes paying for shipping, so I often fall for these uh, offers, and then I buy way more than I ever needed. And if you remember pre-pandemic, it was often more like the Hunger Games when you went shopping in person with the pre-dawn doorbuster sales or limited supplies for whatever the hot ticket item would be that season. And I didn't even know what the hot ticket item would be for this season, so I went online. Well, long gone are Cabbage Patch dolls and Beanie Babies. People are going for air buds and pods and devices and techs and all of the gamer stuff, maybe even Swifty paraphernalia. And oh my gosh, there really is. 
an all-in-one coffee maker espresso machine on sale? Um, I'll be right back. I had the pleasure of meeting so many wonderful people at the conference last week, and I met two fantastic women who are collaborating for a wonderful project and initiative that will support underserved older adults here in New Mexico. And they've agreed to join me on the podcast today to announce this program. Today, I have two special guests that I met while at the 45th Annual Conference on Aging. In collaboration with the Aging and Long-Term Services Department, the New Mexico Department of Health, and University of New Mexico, this is an opportunity to announce a very new, important, and wonderful initiative that's going to take place for our state in New Mexico. My guests are Michelle Poindexter, Education Development Manager at UNM, University of New Mexico, the Development Manager for Community Health, and my guest, Daniela Matthews-Trigg, Senior Program Manager, Community Health Worker, and part of this new initiative that they're going to tell us about. Welcome. Thank you for having us. I would love it if you would give our listeners a little bit of background. Maybe we start with the Office for Community Health that's at the university, and then we can bridge into how did it get aligned with aging and long-term services. I can start with that. Um, the Office of Community Health is part of the university. We're under the health sciences part of the university. We're affiliated very closely with the hospital as well as the medical school and that sort of area. Michelle is with the Office of Community Health and I'm with the Community Health Worker Initiatives. Uh, we call it CHWI, um, which is also a program of the Office of Community Health. That's just a lot of contextual jargon. The Department of Aging Long-Term Services reached out to us and wanted to create a partner program uh, in order to serve older adults in rural and semi-rural parts of the state. Our program and our department have worked with community health workers um, for many years. Um, we were just thrilled that they reached out to us. Sounds like a good plan. Michelle, can you tell us a little bit more about your involvement in this particular initiative? Absolutely. Being the education development manager, I've come in to help Daniela establish this and do the program development piece and the training course that the community health workers that we hire for our program will be going through as this is a very specialized crafted training that they will be going working very specifically with older adults in New Mexico. I've come in to kind of be that piece to help put all of this together to get it off the ground as we go to launch in January. That's the next key point. This is very exciting because this is the advance announcement about this initiative, because as Michelle said, the training probably isn't going to start till January. We have a chance to get the word out. Can you? Oh, I'm so sorry. I got excited and I was going to say the timing could not be better for this podcast. I agree. This podcast will be announcing it ahead of time in November, 
And then I'm going to invite someone else involved with the initiative to come back and talk in December so we have a little more details about the training, time and place or how, where, to get people as enthusiastic about this as they are. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'd love it if one of you would tell me just a little bit more about the inner workings of this initiative, how it came to you once the Aging and Long-Term Services Department approached you. What were the factors that you used to create this initiative? I can start and then I'll pass it over to Michelle to talk more about the sort of curriculum piece, um, which is their specialty. The nitty gritty part of this program is going to be training older adults to become community health workers. We're looking for folks who are not yet community health workers, but they're interested in doing community health work. Part of the curriculum that Michelle is developing for this program will be getting that community health worker certification through the Department of Health, which is our other partner in this program. So they'll be certified. They'll go through Michelle's really specialized training to work with older adults. And then they'll be assigned areas really based on where they live in rural and semi-rural parts of the state. Right now in the pilot, we're really starting with Bernalillo and surrounding counties. Ideally, we'd love to expand into the rest of the state over the next few years. Then the community health workers will then serve older adults within their own communities. That's sort of the most special thing about community health workers is that they are from their communities and they serve their communities. That's what we're really hoping to create and build within this program. Michelle, before you add to that, when I first saw the flyer at the conference and I read through it, I I immediately went community health worker. Oh, I'm not trained. I'm not in the health industry. I might have initially just put the flyer back thinking, hmm, you're just going to put me together with other nurses or hospice workers, hoping that the training that you're talking about and the certification Daniela mentioned will help make sense to somebody who might be thinking, oh, I could do something as an older adult for another older adult. I do want, because we haven't really fleshed out what a community health worker is quite yet, because I know it's a term that people are like, I'm not a healthcare professional. I'm not a nurse. I don't know how to do blood draws and whatever piece that comes to their mind when they think of a CHW. At the baseline, a community health worker or CHW is just a trusted member of a community within a certain population that they're serving with the goal in mind to provide basic health care. The training is literally blood pressure, sometimes how to take just like general health care history if you're working in a clinic, providing education and giving information about prevention and just being an expert on what their community needs are to bridge this understanding of like social determinants of health. With our Office for Community Health and all of our programs underneath it, our goal is to address social determinants of health, which basically means all of the barriers for people to get access to medical care. This can be transportation issues. This can be housing um, issues. It can be literally anything that's causing a barrier for them accessing the health care that they need. 
it's not as much this healthcare professional as people outside of this work really see and understand it as. It's just trying to critically and strategically work with people in the community and gain the trust of the people that you're serving to remove those barriers so they can get the access that they need. I think that might hopefully will help a little bit with like what this work is. And so, um, cause healthcare profession can be very scary and daunting, um, right. especially if you've never done it before, but I think everyone's an expert on the communities that they identify with. And this is just offering tools and a little bit more knowledge on how to break down those barriers to get these people access. Yes. Thank you. Because, I think that helps to understand that this can be for anyone, doesn't matter their previous occupation and training, and it's not the major healthcare worker or images that any of us may have. What I really appreciated was the the comment about someone within the community who knows the community's needs being able to serve one's own community is really valuable. And I'm hearing it as, yes, there may be some some basic health training, as you said, I'm also hearing it being sort of a liaison to be able to say, oh, this person needs transportation. That doesn't mean that person will be the transportation, but could help find and direct those needs to the people as they need it. Right. It's less of the direct health care and more of connecting with resources and finding ways to get people that access. I like that. Very well said, Michelle. It does help because as I said, when I first saw the flyer, I thought, oh, that's lovely. And I put the flyer down. If someone's listening to this at the beginning going, oh, I'm not a nurse. I'm not a this. That's lovely that they're doing it and they tune out. I want people to hear that this is a new level of, I'm, I'm not fond of the word volunteerism, but to be able to be of service and give to one's community or other people in need in a wonderfully new, creative, and supportive manner. And there's this the community health worker role has been around for a very long time in New Mexico and is just so valued in so many communities. There's other terms that are used for it promotora de salud, a community health representative. But they're all sort of under that same umbrella of community members serving other community members to break down healthcare barriers. I like that. I personally think that by expanding the definition, we're going to expand the population that might be able to respond to the needs. Let's talk about those needs. What is it that either you're seeking now or closer to the training? What are the requirements that we might want to tell people about? There are income requirements in order to be eligible for this position because it is through the workforce program at the Aging Long-Term Services Department. Doug, who will be on the podcast um, next month, is in charge of that whole piece of it. He will have a lot more information about the specific details of that, but there are income requirements. The position will be 20 hours a week, a part-time position. It will be paid through the Aging Long-Term Services Department. This is a service position, but it is not a volunteer position. Um, So that is wonderful. It will hopefully make it accessible for a lot more people. I agree. I'm glad we have that clarification because, again, as you heard, in my ignorance, I thought it was a volunteer 
position that a lot of people could apply for, it now has possibly the added incentive beyond service of uh, being a part-time job. Doug Calderwood will be a guest next month in December to talk about this before the training starts. Beyond the income, is there anything else that that you're looking for in a CHW? A big piece of why this project is happening is to offer more skill sets for people who are not already doing this work. As you know, with this technology age that's happening, people's old skill sets are becoming dated because of how industry is shifting. It's giving access for people who are struggling to stay in their field to learn a new skill and start a new career. That's a big piece is to open that access for job opportunities, very specifically within this population. It very much is centralized to what county that you're living in and or want to serve. If you're just willing to learn some new skills and get paid to serve your community. Thank you. And I was just revisiting the flyer that I had from the conference, and it says that you're seeking older adults age 55 and up. And as you said, currently in Bernalillos, I think it's important that we talk about that we're looking for older adults to be the, the community health workers to support the older adults in their own resident communities. Is that correct? We are looking to start with Bernalillo and Bernalillo surrounding counties for this first cohort. We do hope, I think, by the end of next year to expand to counties a little bit further out and just slowly bake our way out until we reach the entire state, starting a little bit closer so we can make sure it is carved out in the way that's going to be successful. And then we're going to slowly expand out across the whole state. Great. I think it's wise to start with a smaller county to learn and to expand the program. I'm grateful for the clarification about the age requirements so that even though this podcast is geared for older adults, it is also for their caregivers, their family members, loved ones who are multi-generational. They need to be 55 or older. We have had a little bit of wiggle room. 50 and over is the max. And there's a little bit of wiggle room if they're in an ideal uh, location and ideal for this job that we can fudge it a little bit. But 55 plus is our ideal target range. I'm guessing the reason for that is because if one is 50 wiggling and up, then they're going to have a, a better sense and compassion and understanding of what it's like to be growing older or caring for an older adult. Absolutely. It'll be almost double community-based as folks will be working in the communities where they live and they will also be serving older adults in that community. It's double community-based. Double your pleasure, double your fun. (laughs) Exactly. That is a dated reference that the People who listen to the podcast will certainly remember. I don't know if it still exists in today's uh, generation. How does one, if someone's listening today, before Doug comes in in December, how does one contact your department or this initiative to inquire further? We do have the application live along with people can send us an email as well to be able to get access to the application to apply and see if they meet the requirements for the Adric Long-Term Services side. Once they qualify, we can see about getting set up to interview for the job. Okay. I will also add the link in the written description of the podcast because it's it's an odd website link. It's 
tinyearl.com slash 3NMV9425. And that is spelled T-I-N-Y-U-R-L dot com slash 3NMV9425. And I will print that so people can have it. Is there one particular email that I should also use that you would recommend? Our, our email is um, ready for anyone who wants to email us any questions or anything. It The email is csoa-nm at salud.unm.edu. It's our acronym for Community Supporting Older Adults New Mexico. So csoa-nm at salud.unm.edu. Okay. Thank you. I will also type that in because depending on what, when someone's listening to the podcast, if they're walking their dog or they're cooking, I will type that in. Those of you who are listening who don't have a pen, I will put it in the description later. Excellent. So since this is the broadcast to announce that, is there anything that either of you would like to add now? And then we'll do more information and repeat things next month when Doug joins us. The one thing that comes to mind for me is that we are also really hoping to connect with partners, organizations, providers, folks doing work with older adults around social determinants of health in rural, semi-rural areas. We're throwing a wide net. And we're just hoping to connect with folks to build stronger and better resource lists in all of the areas that we're going to be working in. We know this stuff exists and that people are doing this work and we would love to meet them and talk to them. So I'd say if you have listened to this and nodded your head along saying, oh yeah, no, that sort of aligns with what I'm doing. We would really, really love to connect with you and please email us. Perfect. Michelle, any Parting comments? Yeah, I guess to expand on that, I know I connected with a lot of amazing individuals at the conference on aging, and we are still working on fleshing out our curriculum. If anyone has any amazing trainings that they do about working with older adults with like very specific topics, because I'm always open to widening my lens of understanding on these topics, so please also reach out because we'd love to include incorporate anyone's knowledge that they have into ensuring that our CHWs are going out there with all that they can to do the best work that they can. I want to thank you both for taking time today to let this podcast be the, you know, the announcement, the launch, not that you haven't been working on this, to the public about this wonderful opportunity. And I love that kind of dovetails on the conference. So people who were at the conference last week will be able to go, oh, yes, I remember that flyer. Now I have a better understanding of what it means to be a community health worker and that they will be contacting you. I know we'll be in touch again soon. Thank you so much, Duchess. We appreciate you having us. Thank you for having us today. By now, you may have guessed that Thanksgiving is one of my most favorite holidays. And for me, each year it gets less and less attention that it deserves due to the fact, in my humble opinion, that Christmas and Halloween are far more profitable than even pumpkin spice. So each year, I have to keep myself in check and not get bent out of shape when holiday music starts playing as early as Halloween or TV commercials begin to inundate our senses with what Christmas shopping week can start even ahead of Black Friday. And then there are all those early decorations and store displays too. Well, 
While online at mentalfloss.com, I found an article exactly about this, entitled, quote, Yes, you can put up your Christmas decorations now and should, according to psychologists, end quote. The article by Jason Serafino talks about the fact that we each know one person who has already begun decorating inside or outside their homes. It might be your neighbor, it might even be you. And these early decorations often get a bad rap. Well, according to two psychologists, psychoanalysts actually, Steve McEwen and Amy Morin, these eager Christmas decorators aren't eccentric, they're simply happier, happier. Early decorations can offer feelings of nostalgia as a way to connect to childhood and simpler times. And who couldn't use a little of that these days? In a world full of the stress and anxiety and chaos and horror that we have inundating our news and our emails, people like to associate with those things that make them happy. And Christmas decorations evoke strong feelings of childhood for so many people. And that household who has had their home decked out for December 25th ever since Halloween? Well, according to a 1989 study in the Journal of Environmental Psychology, homes that have been warmly decorated for the holidays make the residents appear more, quote, friendly and cohesive, end quote, compared to non-decorated homes when observed by strangers. In other words, a little wreath can go a long way. So I want to thank my guests again today, and I will be sure to put Danielle and Michelle's contact info in the written description of this episode, or you can find it on our Facebook page. And so I want to close for this Thanksgiving with one of my favorite gratitude quotes by the author Melody Beattie. Quote, gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It turns what we have into enough and more. It turns denial into acceptance, chaos to order, confusion to clarity. It can turn a meal into a feast, a house into a home, a stranger into a friend. Gratitude makes sense of our past, brings peace for today, and creates a vision for tomorrow." Well, we have five Wednesdays in November, so I hope your vision for tomorrow includes rewiring with me next week. Till then, Happy Thanksgiving. Thank who? Thank you for supporting this podcast. Our show is sponsored by the Aging and Long-Term Services Department of New Mexico. You can contact that department by calling 1-800-432-432. 2080 or online at www.aging.nm.gov. Our original music is written by New Mexico's own Lydia Clark. Join us next week on your favorite streaming platform. Till then, remember to reconnect, recommit, and rewire.